Welcome to the Future Belongs to Creators. I'm your host, Nathan Berry. I'm the CEO at ConvertKit, and I'm joined by my co-host, Barrett Brooks. He's the COO here at ConvertKit, and we're on a mission to help creators earn a living. This show is about turning anxious energy into creative output during times of uncertainty. Welcome to episode 48 of the Future Belongs to Creators. Today, we're talking about how to build an audience through content curation. It's a popular tactic. It works really well, especially if you're getting started. It's a bit of a different path than what we've seen a lot of creators do and uh, you know what we typically advocate for. So we're, we're going down some new territory. But before we dive in there, Barrett, how are you doing today? Oh, you know... <laughs> Maybe you don't know. I'm, um, how am I? I don't know. Yellow green? Do, do you Chartreuse? Know? <laughs> yeah, just buying myself time to check in. But how are you really doing? Um, I'm chartreuse. There's uh, Wednesdays, you'll all know this by now, but are my meeting days. Um, so it's been get up, go straight to work uh, in meetings. And I've been in them straight up until now. So I haven't actually eaten yet today. And uh, little Ev, my son, got up at four today. All I had to do was go put my hand on his chest for a minute. And then he cried even louder when I left, but then he went back to sleep within like 30 seconds. So it worked, but I just kind of like shifted an hour of sleep from about four to five to like 6.30 to 7.30. So that was fine. I ended up okay rested and then got up and got into the day. And so uh, maybe after this, I'll eat something. How are you doing? I'm, I'm good. Um, yellow, green, somewhere in there. Uh, we, we weren't quite as prepared for starting this episode of the podcast as we meant to be. And so that like put a little bit of rush right at the end. Um, I also had a kid that decided to get up early, not as early, but Josiah normally wakes up at eight. Like that's his time, which we love. And uh, yesterday he was like, 7.15 sounds good. Let's do 7.15. It's like, okay, I can roll with this. And this morning he was like, you know what? I'm really digging this trend. Let's go to 6.15 and see how that goes. And I was like, okay, this is not, not so good. We had a great morning. But it was just this realization that like by eight o'clock, Josiah was like stretching and yawning and, you know, he's like, well, I think it's time for my mid-morning nap. And I just felt a little bit of jealousy of like, yeah, yeah, if you get up super early, you just go take a nap and you don't care. But the rest of us are going to feel it. So uh, otherwise, I'm pretty good. It is pouring rain here, like so badly that because I dug up my whole yard, it's all muddy. And I actually took boards and have now made a walkway across the mud so that it's less ridiculous. Yeah. So that is not normal for Boise. And I'm like, what is going on? Is it sunny there or is it, is it at least cloudy? No, we're in a long stretch of cloudy and rain. Um, At least we're in it in the same sort of situation. I'd be extra annoyed if you're like, I don't know. It's just sunny and warm here in Portland. No, no, no. Oh boy, oh, man. Uh, well, today we're going to talk about um, a style, I'll call it a style of business, it's not really a business model per se, it's really more a style yeah. of content production, and that is uh, a content curation business, and uh, this kind of business, you can almost think of it as a tastemaker type business, where across any number of industries, it could be in business, it could be in design, it could be in music, it could be habit formation, or even just like general interest. 
Uh, content curation is a really powerful way to leverage existing resources out there on the web and build a brand around either your name or your business name because you become a great curator, a great taste maker. So we're going to dive into some different examples and maybe use those examples to highlight what we think makes them stand out and why they work so that you might be able to apply similar strategies to your business. Love it. Okay. So I'm going to talk about right off the bat where I first came across this in a way that made me think, Ooh, I could do that. And that was, um, a guy named Dave Verber put out this site called iOS dev weekly. And it was an email newsletter comes out surprise once a week. And, uh, in that he had the best resources that he thought on iOS development. I was getting into uh, iOS development at the time. And so I thought, okay, this is great. Let me subscribe. And I looked forward to those articles. He put out maybe eight to 10 articles per issue came out every week at the same time. And, uh, I thought that was great. I think when I signed up, he was maybe 2000 email subscribers. When I looked not too long ago, he was over 45,000 subscribers years later. So it's turned into something pretty big. I thought it was super interesting because Dave wasn't an expert coming in and you'll hear us talk about this a few different ways, or he was an expert, but he wasn't like anointed. He wasn't like the industry famous person or any of that. Right. Instead he was like, Hey, I'm looking for resources all the time. Probably a bunch of the rest of you are too. Why don't I just put, you know, put this collection together and we can all benefit from it. And it just resulted in, in a following. So I looked at that and said, maybe I could do the same. So I actually emailed him and said, uh, hey, Dave, you've got some design links in there. Would you be interested in adding a design section? Um, or if not, would you be cool if I started iOS Design Weekly? And he was like, oh, absolutely. You can start it. I'll even link to it um, when you come out with that. And so I spun that up. I, his initial link gave me like my first 50 subscribers or something. And for, I think I spent a year doing it. I curated iOS Design Weekly um, every week. I think I got it to about a thousand subscribers. And then what I started to do is over time, I worked in more of my own content, right? Cause first it's just purely curation. But then as I would write an article, like, great, I get to include that in there and call it out. Like, Hey, this is one of my articles. You know, it's like adding the disclaimer for your ad or anything like that. You want to name any conflicts that you might have. And that started to position, make the switch from, you know, just curating other people's content to, oh, now I've got a little bit of a platform to include my stuff as well. And that helped kickstart my iOS design blog um, as I got it going. Yeah, I love that. Um, it makes me think a lot about, uh, well, I want to get back into what made it work, but I'm going to just share a little story real quick that this actually applies in a lot of different ways. Um, my wife works in public relations. She runs a PR agency and uh, is an entrepreneur herself. Every morning, one of her jobs for one of her clients who is a, uh, a grocer, a local grocer, is to scan uh, headlines around the world about grocery stores and food supply systems and curate a list of resources for the executive team at her client to be able to go through and know what's going on in the world so they can anticipate trends, piggyback on any coverage that might be able to, they might be able to get in on and get covered by. And so she, even in the PR business, is using this strategy as a value proposition. It's just that rather than having a newsletter audience, she's got a very specific group of, let's call it a dozen or two dozen executives who rely on that curation to have their knowledge about the industry be up to date. Um, I want to yeah, go back to yours. 
though, Nathan, and what do you think worked about it? Like, why do you think it resonated with people or what did you do differently that worked really well? Well, I think the timing probably mattered, right? This was 2012 that I started it, at the very end of 2011. Um, so there weren't as many newsletters there. But I think everybody's looking for a curated list of what they should pay attention to. There's so much out there. I mean, you were even doing this the other day. You texted our friend James last night and said, hey, James, who's your curated list? You didn't phrase it this way, of who I should follow on Twitter. And he's like, oh, these, these five people, these 10 people or whatever. Right, we want people that we respect to tell us, okay, but what's the best thing? You know, that's why for Tim Ferriss, you know, so much of his stuff is uh, like recommendations. He's curated a list from all of these people that he's interviewed of like their top things to buy, their top quotes, their you know, all those things because he's curating. And so, I think whatever the topic is, whether it's development or audience building or design. There's another one um, by a designer named Sasha Grief called Sidebar. I think it's at sidebar.io. This is just like the five best design links every day. And so this, this value proposition of like, I could pay attention to nothing. I could be equivalent to that, the busy grocery store executive. And I don't have to pay attention to the news or anything because I can trust that this trusted individual, whether they're someone that I've hired or some random stranger on the internet is getting the best stuff. They're cutting through all the noise and they're putting it right in my inbox. And so if you do it on a really narrow topic, then I think it's going to work really well. And I, I definitely recommend it as a place to start. If you're not wanting to go down the path of writing a ton of your own original content to start, if you want to build an audience, but you don't want to start with like writing a whole bunch of long form essays, then I think it's a great way to go. Yeah. One thing that um, I think some people do particularly well from a content curation perspective is they actually do both. They find and curate the best resources and then they give insightful content yes. around it. My favorite example of this, and you'll probably get tired of me mentioning her because I'm, I'm such a fan of the way she works, is Maria Popova. Her entire strategy is a curation of reading and resources from throughout history, often things that you wouldn't normally or naturally discover if you were just reading the latest stuff. And she writes insightful content about what she's learning related to what she's reading. She likes to say she doesn't do book reviews. That's not what it is. It's commentary on insights from what she's reading. And uh, it started as a newsletter and well, not even a newsletter. It started as an email to like five friends right. of here's what I'm reading. Here's what I'm finding interesting. Here's what I'm learning from it. And it's grown into brain pickings and it's, which is now in like the, the library of Congress of highly important online things or something like that. Yeah. It's basically being stored just like it's a book that belongs in the library of Congress at this point because of the way she treats it. And I think the thing that stands out about Maria is number one, she reads things that no one else is reading, often going yeah. way back uh, in time, 100, 200 years to read things that we wouldn't normally dig up or that are hard to get through. And secondly, she's uncovering the bits of it that are highly relatable or have a strong emotional relationship between the reader and the content, the writer of it originally. And she's highlighting that for us. The other thing I love is at the bottom of every one of her posts, she's further taking you down this rabbit hole. She says, if you loved this, read this on this other topic or this on this other topic. And there have definitely been times where I've found myself six or seven posts deep on her site with like a whole bunch of tabs open of stuff I want to read 
because it's curated, you know, she's, she's building this like external database of her mind and the way that all the mm -hmm. synapses are, are mapped in her mind for all of us to explore with her. I think that's such a good point of like, you can start with curation of here are the most interesting things that I've read and plenty of people are doing that, but I still think there's room for more people to do it. Like Barrett, if you actually had a curated newsletter, I would totally follow that. You know, for a time, there was like five weeks where I did it every Sunday and it was very good. It's hard to keep up. I, I, I bet that it is. Um, though I would say that you have an assistant now and I bet that she would help with that. That's true. Um, and that might be a way to drive consistency when you're consistent writing. So maybe you're at the point where you've got a, a serious essay that you want to put out, but you want to reach your audience consistently with your way of seeing the world. But the, the essay is only coming at this point every other week or once a month or when there's something where you're like you have that fire and you're like, oh, I've got to go do this. But the Barrett Brooks way of seeing the world and interesting products. And uh, I think it was Emily that was saying she does, she's doing her shopping based on, you know, what's in your house. Uh, you know, that could come out every week consistently, you know, so that, that's one, one angle. But I like what you're saying about adding commentary. Cause at first it's like, these are the interesting things that I found on the web or that I'm interested in. But then later it can evolve into, and here's what I think about it. That's what John Gruber from Daring Fireball, if anyone's in the, the Mac, um, you know, software, hardware space, that whole world, like he built a crazy popular blog by saying, here's a link with like a little block quote of highlighting a section of it. And here's what I think about it, you know, and it ended up being really approachable. And sometimes he works in like these detailed, thoughtful posts, but a lot of the times it's, you know, just a quick punchy stuff. And then from there, you can either stay with that format of commentary on the world, you know, and commentary on these links, or you can use that as a launching pad to go into um, something entirely different, you know, and, and fully original content where it's just like my own long form essays. And then we've also seen people go the other way. You know, we always mention James Clear because he's a good friend of ours, but he was only long form essays. And then more recently, he's made the switch to his, I think he calls his 321 Thursday newsletter, which is a curated list of his thoughts, links that he's finding around the web and, and things like that. Because he's found that that's an easier format to get people to engage and to stay consistent with. Yeah, I love that. I was just looking back at some of my, uh, my newsletters and I thought I'd share one of them just so you could kind of see how I was taking this approach. And um, for those of you listening, I did five of them. I call it BB Sunday's Sunday reads. Um, so this one is uh, number three and I titled it this week from my desk plus tumors, race and stoplights. Uh, so there was a little bit of like a catchy, I bet some of that got cut off on mobile. So I actually should have made it tumors, race and stoplights. And then just BB Sunday reads number three. I bet that would have gotten more open. So I always love criticizing my own work afterwards, but I give a little intro. I was publishing on my blog twice weekly. So I kind of had this mix that we were just talking about where I had a couple of things that I could share that I had written. Um, and I gave some commentary on why you'd want to read them. One was on how to plan a team retreat for your remote company, which is irrelevant right now. And then one was how to recover from a mistake as a leader. And then I got into a few articles worth reading. I was trying to pull three to four every week. There's a good mix here. One is on kind of this, the reality of mortality and just kind of the effect that it has on us every time we have a brush with death. One is on um, basically how our energy as leaders affects the people who we are leading. And then one is about um, creating more opportunities for 
black and brown founders from a really talented guy here in the, the Portland community that I respect. And then I had a book of the week at the end. Um, sometimes I would add a closing thought. Uh, this one was from a book I was reading called The Dictator's Handbook. And there's this thought out there that uh, if you don't like a book, you should just stop reading it. Like you have no obligation to the book. And on some level, I think that that's true. But I think that some people could misconstrue that for if a book is hard to read, you should put it down. And those are two different things. Because sometimes you intentionally pick up a book that you know will be hard to read, but it is on a topic or will give you knowledge that's really important to you. And so my closing thought in this newsletter was, don't put a book down because it's hard to read. Put a book down because it's not serving the learning intent that you had for it. So anyways, that was my kind of closing thought. I'm trying to think if I have one of James James Clear's in my inbox. I don't know if I do, maybe you do, but he's got this new format. So one thing that I find interesting is if you look at Tim Ferriss or James Clear, both are ConvertKit customers. Um, They have massive audiences now, very, very large groups of people who already read their work. One thing that shifts as you have a growing audience like that is you shift from trying to get new audience members, which you're always trying to do, to your primary focus being keeping the audience you already have and really creating work for them. And so publishing publicly is a thing ultimately that's designed to get more audience, right? It's designed for search engines to find it and for it to be shareable. Newsletters are really about, or curation a lot of times is really about keeping your audience members engaged. And I think one of the things that both Tim Ferriss and James Clear have done in transitioning to more of this like weekly newsletter format is that they've taken a strategy of let's engage the people who are already paying, paying attention uh, to my work and show them the way that I'm thinking about the world. And they have two very different formats. So for Tim, it's five bullet Friday, which is just five things that he found super interesting that week. For James, he's doing three, two, one, which I think is every Thursday, maybe. Yep, it is. I can't remember the breakdown of the three, two, one. I'm sure if we go to jamesclear.com slash newsletter, yep. we're right there. We're just, we're going to get him. Like his audience is going to grow so quickly. Thanks to the shout outs that we're giving uh-huh, him on the show. Exactly. <laughs> um, I want to share an example that kind of goes a different direction because I didn't even realize this was a business play uh, when I started following it. And this is an Instagram curation. And this is from a company called Artisan Born. And I started following them because I think they came up at some point in the Instagram algorithm and, uh, you know, they just had these great woodworking projects, you know, you'd come across and, and share and some really simple things, you know, I was like, oh, this is, this is super cool what they're doing and how they got that built into a desk. And, you know, I was just following all this stuff and amazing designs. And then I got to thinking, I was like, wait, what is this? Is this a business? They're not a custom furniture, custom woodworking company. What are they? I started to dig in. They are a seller of high-end, like premium wood. So this is, if you wanted to make any one of these projects that you see showcased on their Instagram, well, you might go buy a live edge wood slab from them. And so when I thought about it, like if somebody sat down, they're like, hey, um, we sell wood slabs. What, what would we ever build an audience about? Like more photos of wood slabs, how we cut down trees. Like, I'm sorry, but I don't think anyone's going to be interested. Like there's no, there's no newsletter here. Actually, there is a lot of newsletters here. So I'm being a little sarcastic, but I thought they took a great angle of saying, we're going to curate woodworking projects from the best creators. 
And then we've got little plugs in here of like, check out our Etsy shop for some of those products. And then also check out those wood slabs that uh, you can buy. So it's fascinating to see someone take this curation model and say, actually, that is my marketing. Not even, you know, so many people are saying, um, let me curate this audience, get attention, and then I'll do sponsored posts or um, ads or affiliate stuff or that kind of thing. And they're just like, nope, this is how we're going to build an audience for our entire brand. Yeah, I love that. Effectively, magazines are a curation business on some level. You know, uh, they are, because uh, what you were just saying made me think of like Dwell Magazine's Twitter feed. You know, mm-hmm. They're very much curating a feed of photos of properties that are in line with the Dwell aesthetic. One that I'm working on, uh, I am not really actively working on it. I'm more partnering on a project with an old friend. Uh, it's called Farm to Closet. I think I've mentioned this before, but that's going to be a content curation business. It will essentially provide a rating system for how sustainable a piece of clothing is, but then also tell you about how comfortable it is and how it fits. And so uh, the way we're going to start that project is with the 10 most sustainable white t-shirts for men. So we're going to do this one little experiment to see, can we generate some search traffic and is there interest in this topic? And we're just going to go out and find 10 white t-shirts from sustainable fashion companies. We're going to order one of each, try them on, rate them, look at the mission of the company, look at the labor practices and the materials that go into it, and then essentially design a little, what looks like a shop where you click on t-shirts and there's 10 white t-shirts and every, and then there'll be an article the 10 best sustainable white t-shirts for men ranked. And you'll be able to see them in order based on these factors, but you'll be able to sort by uh, what matters to you most as well. So um, it's very much a curation business and the business model on the back end of that would be affiliate deals with all of these different brands, Mm -hmm. right? And so you're not gonna get a lot of money for every sale in the same way if you made them, but you're not gonna have any costs related to inventory or anything like that that you would have with an online shop. And so I'm interested to see how that experiment turns out over time. Can we get enough of an audience there? And is there enough interest in that topic for it to work out as a curation business? Yeah, that's fascinating. Um, okay, I want to dive in on four things that I like steps that I think are really important to make this happen. And then Barrett, you can add color as a, love it as you see fit. Um, the first thing is choose a narrow topic. Someone like Tim Ferriss can say five bullet Friday. And it'd be like the most interesting things that I've discovered it, because we already think that he's interesting or his audience thinks that he's interesting. If you're coming and building an audience and you're like, here's the five most interesting things on the internet or that I found, it's like, okay, I, I don't know or trust or you, like you don't have that reputation. So that doesn't work. So instead you need to narrow down on a specific topic and say, you know, the iOS design weekly, the sustainable fashion, the, you know, one of these things where you're diving in really specific and saying, okay, if you, you obsessively read on this topic anyway, this is for you. The second thing to do is choose a cadence. So if you're starting that Instagram uh, curation, you know, like we, we reference our friend uh, Prince McClinton who does art of visuals, you know, he's uh, featuring the best photographers, just these incredible photos. You know, you might do daily if you're handling that for um, a platform like Instagram. Uh, you might do weekly if it's a newsletter. I think that's really a nice cadence there. Um, there are some newsletters that are curated, like I think of Jeff Shelton from Ugmunk. He's built this incredible e-commerce brand, like really design, design forward. And he has a, a monthly curation. You know, he talks some about their products and what they're doing, but it's like the things that he finds most interesting. And monthly is a cadence that worked for him. The important thing is that you pick a cadence and you never miss it. Never, ever, ever. 
This is something that you have to schedule out more in advance. There's no excuse of like, well, I didn't get a chance to finish my article yet or other excuses that I might be known to give out. Uh, Really, it's that you just always have to follow it. Not even the same day, but down to the same time. It should arrive at 9 a.m. every Monday or 1 p.m. every Thursday, whatever. Super consistent. The next thing to do is have a system for how you collect ideas. I was helping a friend set uh, up something similar for his e-commerce business. And I had him just buy a whiteboard and put it up in his shop. He makes high-end paddle boards. And there's a lot of like great videos, customers that he could showcase, all of that. And I knew that if he walked past that whiteboard, you know, every single day, then whenever he comes across something, he would write it up there of like a tip or something that he wants to showcase. And then he could see like, oh, it's Wednesday. It's going to go out on Friday. There's still one slot open for the next week. So have that, you know, where you're collecting ideas, where you're dropping links, what that system is. So you're not, when it's time for the newsletter to go out thinking, um, oh shoot, what am I going to put together? And then the last thing to do is automate reminders. So if it goes out every Friday morning at 8 a.m., Thursday morning at 8 a.m., there should be a reminder, you know, that pops up in your calendar, even if it's 20 minutes, like a curation thing that's not that hard. So if it pops up and has a 20 minute block for you to work on it a day in advance, then you're going to be like, oh yeah, let me pull together some ideas when you're not stressed. Um, and that can be uh, a good time to do it. So those are the four things. Choose a narrow topic, um, set a consistent cadence, have a good system for collecting ideas, and then have reminders so it takes the stress off. Yep. And the, the one thing I would highlight there is that the hardest part is having a good system. Mm-hmm. Um, in order to create interesting content, you have to be consuming interesting content and thinking about interesting things. And so, uh, the hardest part I had, I ran a curation newsletter at my last company called fizzle. I've run my own for myself. The hardest part is always when I get heads down on a project or work and I'm not consuming anything, there's nothing to share. And so that's the part that you have to remember is that just as important as having time set aside for creating the thing is having time set aside for consuming in the way that a tastemaker has to. Uh, a restaurant critic has nothing to write about if they're not going to restaurants. That's the way that I would capture that idea, right? And so whatever it is that you're curating, if it's articles around the web, notes from books, if it's songs worth listening to that are new out there in the world, you've got to be consuming that stuff in order to actually be a tastemaker saying, here's the best of what's out there right now. That's good. Um, We should wrap up and transition, but before we do that, I want you to talk for a second about uh, being a tastemaker. Mm. You touched on it earlier. Some of this comes with time, but like how how would you start to establish that? What standards do you have to set? You know, when your friend is like, hey, you got a newsletter, can you include my stuff in there? How do you have to think about it of maintaining a really high bar and making sure that you're not compromising quality so that you can be in it for the long term? Yeah. Well, the first one is, I think, being specific enough to be able to be a tastemaker. No one is a tastemaker in a wide range of topics. It's too hard. There's just not enough time to be exposed. It's really about exposure. You know, in order to have taste, you have to have exposure to a wide range of things. So I would say that that's true in fashion. I'd say that that's true in books. I'd say that that's true in music and um, plant, indoor plants, you know, whatever. It's uh, really about getting exposed to a lot of stuff. So picking where you're going to go for exposure, then really investing the time to ingest just a lot of stuff. And then I think one of the biggest keys is, is taking a step back and thinking, okay, well, what do I think about this? 
What do I like? What is it that makes a song stand out to me? Why do I go for certain songs over others? Like, I think DJs are the ultimate tastemakers and curators, yeah. you know? That's what makes a DJ's career. If they can be a tastemaker for a group of people who grow to trust them on what they're picking as the next songs that are gonna play at the club or that are gonna be on playlists, it's because you have a perspective. And so I think as you get more exposure and you think about what it is that resonates with you or what you like, your job is then to say, okay, well, my style, and it's not my style of what I make, it's my style of what I choose to expose you to is this. Right. And so something either fits their, fits your aesthetic, it fits your voice, it fits your topic, or it doesn't. And so the, the, key thing I think between a great tastemaker who really breaks through and someone who doesn't is that they say no all the time. It's like, I love you. And also that has no space in my aesthetic that has no place in my style. That has no place in my newsletter. And what you have to realize is that it might be painful to say no to a friend or whoever right now, but what's way more painful is having no one listening to anything you have to say. And saying no, I think is what builds you up into a tastemaker because that creates the room for the few things that you say yes to. And if people read, listen to, watch, consume all of the stuff, like imagine someone really consuming everything that you're recommending. Are you nailing it on more than you're not? I think you gotta be like 75, 25, 80, 20 in terms of when you're hitting the nail on the head versus not. Uh, and it doesn't mean it always has to be just on the one little topic. Like you get more leeway, the bigger you get, but you better not miss too often because when you miss too often is when people hit the unsubscribe button. I love it. All right, Barrett, I think it's time for a transition. Creator of the day. All right, we're hitting the high notes today. Um, I don't have a creator, so I'm going to jump right into resource of the day. Though he is a creator as well. Um, this is a guy named Ricardo Semler. And uh, he wrote a book called Maverick years ago. It came out in 2000, no, it was updated in, in 2001. It was first published in 1988. Uh, so Ricardo created this really fascinating, unique business in Brazil, a manufacturing business. They had really unique ways of uh, empowering their team, profit sharing, you know, limited meetings, everything else. It's fascinating. He was doing all of this back in the 80s, like 70s and 80s before I don't know, other companies made it cool and pretended that they invented it. And he was doing it in Brazil. It's not even in, in the United States or places that we would typically uh, look. So anyway, this book is called Maverick. Um, I would definitely recommend it. Great stories. And then just, it's one of these books that doesn't tell you what to do. It just gets you to think about things in new ways. So check it out. Love it. My creator of the day is a friend I mentioned yesterday um, that inspired yesterday's episode, but he is... Um, let me see if I can share my screen. There we go. Uh, Austin Mann, uh, he has just been number one. He's one of the most talented photographers. Certainly he's the most probably talented photographer that I know. Um, and he's one of the most well-known uh, that I know. And his work is fantastic. His site is beautiful, as you can see. He's got this kind of fun, uh, he does a lot of travel photography and he does it alongside really big brands that you would recognize. So his current objective, as you can see on his website, is testing the new iPhone 11 Pro. And you can kind of see some of the photography that he's captured that is really just like iconic type imagery, really gorgeous stuff. You can also follow him on Instagram, um, Austin Mann, uh, M-A-N-N, and just see this kind of gorgeous photography that he's taken over time from all over the world. I'm really into imagery. 
two things that are true about me are, um, I love imagery, maybe even more than I love words. Two is when it comes to music, I love, uh, beats and rhythm more than I love the words too. And so when it comes to just experiences, the visual and the kind of like emotional level, I think that's what it is. It ties into emotion, the visuals and the beats of, and rhythm of songs is really what ties into the emotion of the experience. So I tend to follow creators and listen to creators that appeal to those two things. So anyways, if you want to know more about my like aesthetic or style that I'm using when I curate people that I highlight, those are two factors there. Love it. I actually hadn't realized I've, I've been to Austin's site a bunch of times for his detailed iPhone reviews. And then of course seen his work in, in, uh, Apple commercials and, and stuff like that. But I, I, this article of the, uh, iPhone 11 pro camera review in China, um, I realized I've read this and it's, it's just incredible. And it's like, yes, uh, cameras on phones are getting insanely good. But he also just brings it to the absolute next level with uh, his skill as a photographer and as a storyteller. All right. I think, uh, I think it's time to wrap up today's episode. Love it. You know, we just say uh, when it comes to starting an audience, we're basically trying to give you every possible framework, scenario, everything to start an audience where you're like, well, I don't have anything to say. Great. Curate. You know, like we're trying to remove every single possible excuse and uh, curating is not necessarily better than any other approach. You know, we would default more towards like creating our own original work, but whatever gets you to build that audience, build that habit of showing up consistently. Cause just like anything, it's going to take a long time. And the important thing is that you start now. So thanks for listening and we'll catch you tomorrow. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the future belongs to creators. If you didn't pick it up from the show, we make a tool called ConvertKit, where we're on a mission to help creators earn a living by building software that helps you build an audience of loyal fans. If you want to give ConvertKit a try, you can go to landingpage.new to launch your next creative project. You'll be able to build a landing page and send emails for up to 500 subscribers totally for free. So again, that's landingpage.new. You can get started with your free ConvertKit account today.